0: Rob, I think you're going to come and read to us, wherever you are.
1: Okay, um, the first reading is uh, from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, so it should be pretty easy to find right at the back, um, page 1,233 in the Bibles where you're sitting, if you want to follow, um, Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 4 one two three three. It starts um, greetings and doxology. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 24, that's on page 1062, Luke chapter 4, if you want to follow, page 1062, Um, starting at verse 36, and so the context is, you've just done the bit where um, Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then the disciples are all together, and they're having a chat about it. Um, And it's headed, Jesus Appears to the Disciples. While they were still, still talking about this, the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, everyone. Let us pray together. So, Holy Spirit, as you are with us now, would you just come and continue to bless us in this time that we spend together? Lord, show us something more of who you are this morning, of who we worship, and help us to take this and apply it to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. How many of you uh, managed to be able to be here on, on Friday morning? Raise your hands. About, about a quarter of you, good. I will, I will start this morning by saying something about, about Phyllis. Um, if you're with us for the, for the first time or so and you don't know who, who Phyllis was, Phyllis was this, well she was at, at the time the, the oldest member of the church. She would have been 96 a couple of days before she died on New Year's Eve. But I I shared something that day of what struck me about about Phyllis. And it was something that someone else from the church said to me. And they, they wrote to me this. And they said, she was one of only three people who I'd ever met who radiated the presence and love of God just by looking at her. ...and being in her company. She was one of the three people she'd ever met... ...who she felt radiated the presence and love of God... ...just by looking at her and being in her company. Of course, the thing about Phyllis is that she would... ...probably not recognise that statement of her. She was such a a humble lady... ...such an inspiring lady to, to be around... You know, when I often went to visit her at, at La Caroline, just next door to the church, you'd often see things in her home that reminded her of how she had been a faithful witness that we talked about last week to, to Jesus Christ. You'd see, you'd see the Bible, the study Bible, on the, on the table next to the chair. You could see how much she'd prayed. You could still see the hunger that she had for God because she was still reading well into her 90s and above all what you could see was you could see just these simple everyday acts that she did to show her love for God one of those acts some of you won't know this but Brian reminded us about was was this for about half a century she opened that door and locked it virtually every night you know, it tells you something about Phyllis. And the last time I met Phyllis was, was on the ICU wing of the, of the hospital. And I, and I went in to see her, and she was so appreciative that I'd kind of taken some time out post-Christmas to, to go and see her. And as always with Phyllis, she had a question. The question that she wanted to ask me that day was this, will Jesus be pleased to see me? Will Jesus be pleased to see me? You see, that was in many ways typical Phyllis because she knew at that time that she was dying. And so I turned round to her and said, Phyllis, Jesus will be delighted to see you. Jesus will be delighted to see you. And it was as if at that moment, if you know your scriptures, you'll know in Luke 2 there's something very famous that we call the Nunc Dimittis. It's when Jesus is presented in the temple as a baby and Simeon, this old man, this old prophet almost, has been faithfully waiting for the Messiah to come. And he sees the baby Jesus and he claims that the light of the revelation to the Gentiles that he has just seen and he can die in peace. And it was as if at that moment, in that hospital bed, she felt she could die in peace. And then she grabbed my hand. That's probably what I'll remember more than anything else. This 96-year-old woman nearly, this frail hand. And she grabbed it like a 20-year-old and said, let's pray. And so I prayed first. I prayed the, the three things, the three most important things that anybody ever needs to know in life. Whoever you are, you need to know the love of Jesus. You need to know his presence with you. And you need to know his peace And I thought Okay, done that And then Phyllis opened her mouth And started to pray I don't know why I was surprised That she wanted to pray Because whenever I'd prayed with Phyllis before She'd always prayed And I kind of thought Well maybe she won't this time And then she prayed a prayer And the prayer she prayed was not about her. The prayer she prayed, which I didn't mention on Friday, was for her two sons. That they would know the love of Jesus as much as she did. And so after we were all after we'd finished and we were at the parish hall, I went and saw Raoul and Helia and I sat them down. I don't know if they thought I was a complete idiot. But I went and told them what that prayer was. And that if any of you know them, that you can do and maybe answer Phyllis's prayer and spend some time with them. Because many of you know each one of them. You see, that day, Phyllis taught me many lessons in life. Just the simple, everyday things that are so important. But that day, she showed me how to die safe in Jesus's arms and the reason I share that story with you is because of our theme for this service Jesus the firstborn of the dead this wasn't a sermon that I was expecting to be preaching but it's one I am preaching this morning we're looking at these three descriptive statements at the beginning of the book of Revelation about who Jesus is. If you know anything about Greek, you will know that the word firstborn there is the word prototokos. Can you say that? That's pretty good. Try it again. Prototokos. That's what the word firstborn means and we're going to look at it this morning in terms of what it actually means and these three statements that we see that are described in in verse 5 here and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the faithful witness that we looked at last week that ultimately we saw in Jesus dying on the cross today we'll look at this statement Jesus the firstborn from the dead namely his resurrection and next week we'll look at this one, the ruler of the kings of the earth. In other words, Jesus says exaltation. And so, what I want us to explore this morning is what that those churches in Asia Minor understood by this statement: Jesus, the firstborn of the dead or from the dead. And then I want us to think about how they then applied that to their lives and how we can then apply that to our lives in the context in which we live today. And so to do that, we need to kind of get a grasp a bit of biblical knowledge and biblical history. And we need to understand a bit about what people believed at around 90 A.D., in a, in a Jewish predominantly context, but also increasingly into a Gentile world as well. And this is what the belief was. So if you were to read, if you like, most of the Old Testament, you would find that there was very little talk of what happened when you died. Very little talk about it. It was almost as if you lived and you died, or you went to a place called Sheol, which was, just means the grave, and it was only towards the end of the Old Testament, and in particular those later Old Testament books, that there is some sort of talk of some sort of life after death, something of resurrection. That, the most famous passage is in the end of the book of Daniel, and Daniel chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, if you're taking notes and you want to refer to it afterwards. And so that was the context. It was a very controversial subject in the Jewish world. If you know your Bibles once more, you'll know this. Because you'll know that the two ruling Jewish groups at the time, of, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, had different beliefs about the resurrection. You will know that the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection at all. And you'll know that the Pharisees did. And you'll know how controversial it was because the Apostle Paul almost caused a riot in Jerusalem in Acts 23 when he started to talk about the resurrection of the dead. And it just almost kicked off straight away because the Sadducees who were listening didn't believe in it. The Pharisees did believe it and it almost sort of like became this this big fight. And so it was a very controversial subject in terms of what was going on in the day. And then you had this crazy group of Jews if you like, because that was what they were. They were, if you like, described as the followers of the way. Then they were later described as Christians who kept claiming that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, had risen from the dead. And they kept witnessing to it over and over again. And that's what led to the explosion of Christianity out into Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And kind of like almost... Where the book of Revelation is written is the ends of the earth. It's in Asia Minor that we see this passage written. And one of the titles that they used to describe Jesus' resurrection of the dead was this one, the Prototokos of the dead. If you like, the firstborn of the dead. It has its origins... In the Psalms, in Psalm 89 and verse 27. That's where the origins of firstborn comes from. It was a title used of David to say he was God's firstborn. And what the rabbis believed was that this psalm was messianic. In other words, what they believed that this title not just referred to David, but it referred to his descendants. And because they believed, the Jews, that the Messiah would come... (coughs) From the line of David. It was a title that was given to Jesus. And so in the book of Acts, we see Paul describing Jesus as the Prototokos of the dead when he's on trial before King Agrippa in Acts 26. We'll see how he'll use that reference again in Colossians 1 and verse. 18, he'll talk about how Jesus has been raised from the dead. But what did it really mean? This is what it meant. It had two meanings. Prototokos, first of all, was if you like, think of the natural word that might come into your head. If I was to say to, see, to you, use the word proto and finish it. And you probably come up with the word Prototype. Because that's where prototype, the word prototype comes from. It meant something of how Jesus was the first in line. That was the, the first idea. In other words, that Jesus had gone before and he was the first in line. If you like, he'd done that by being the faithful witness. But also, more importantly, it had this meaning. That Jesus is sovereign over death. That he had supreme authority over death. That's what Paul was declaring in his magisterial passage about the resurrection that we kind of sang in that last song. Where, O death is your sting? Where, oh, death is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was what they believed. Believed that Jesus was the prototype, but that they believed Jesus had supreme authority over death. And so, what difference did it make to their lives? You know, it made every difference. You see, the context of Revelation 1 is a context of death it's of this struggling group of churches seven of them in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey who are kind of struggling to live out the Christian faith because they're getting persecuted all over the place and some of them are trying to live a faithful witness, some of them are living a kind of shallow, lukewarm life but they're, but they're struggling and they're Try to keep going and John who's writing this this letter to them is writing this letter when he's in prison in Port Patmos on an island many miles away from Asia Minor and it's this, it's this context because it's the blood of the martyrs being slain over and over again And it's this context of death. And it reminds me of this statement that I heard the other day by a woman called Christine Kane. Some of you will know who she is. And it's this. We live our lives not in the facts of our circumstances, but in the truth of God's word. We live our lives not in the facts of our circumstances but in the truth of of God's word. And that's what the churches in Revelation were trying to do. That's what John was trying to encourage them to to live out their lives as he's talking about this statement of who Jesus is, the the firstborn of the dead. And so, so this morning the first thing I just wonder is, do you know that hope in Jesus? Because it makes all the difference. You know so many people have either written to me or spoken to me about Friday morning service about how uplifting it was. Because the only hope we have is Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. It's the only hope that we can give to to anyone. But then what I want us to do is to do two things. You see, for, for some of us this morning, we kind of know what that context of Revelation 1 is like. We kind of feel the, the storms are all around us. You know, and sort of like, If that's you then Perhaps what I say in a moment May have some sort of relevance You know it's hard when the storms come It's hard sometimes When we're getting faced with difficult issues Over and over and over again You know I was was just thinking You know at the moment Of some of the things that, that I'm facing Almost like facing death almost everywhere I look. And Brian's facing some of that as well. You know, when we think the number of people who've died, sadly in St. Juan, just in the past three and a half weeks. We've never known it like that. And then I've got an auntie seriously ill in a hospital bed in Middlesbrough. Of course we remember Helen in her situation and it could be hard when the storms are coming and then I heard those words last Tuesday we do not live our lives under the facts of the circumstances but the truth of God's word and it sets us free and it liberates us I don't know how many of you know the, the story of, of Simon Thomas. There'll probably be just this blank look. I don't know how many of you followed his story over the, over the past six weeks. If you know anything of who Simon Thomas is, Simon Thomas is a vicar's son. He's a, he's a guy, and he, he's about in his mid-40s. He was a Blue Peter presenter, kind of like in the early 2000s and for the last 10 years he's he's a he's a sports broadcaster shall we say for a major satellite broadcasting company and he's a christian and about the middle half of last year he agreed to write he agreed to sort of like if you like write an article for a christian magazine that was going to be going out at christmas kind of like a freebie that would be given away to kind of churches up and down the land. The title of the article was this, Living the Dream. And so he'd wrote this article, they'd interviewed him, they'd they'd all been printed. Half a million of them. And then, towards the end of November, his wife got sick. And three days later, she died. She just had this rare form of blood cancer, and that was it. And so the people who produced this article sort of like thought, well, what are we going to do? We can't send an article out called Living the Dream, it would be completely insensitive. And so they, they contacted him and said, what should we do? And what do you want us to do? We'll quite happily pull it. And he came back to them a few days later and he said, distribute it. You see, we do not live our lives by the facts of our circumstances, but by the truth of God's word. That's what the early church knew that's why if you're living the storm this morning that's how we live and if you, if you know anything of what's happened to him over these past six weeks you'll have seen it it doesn't matter what sort of paper you read whether it's a tabloid or a broadsheet it's been in there or if you've watched any of his social media posts he posts and he's now started a blog and he posts under the hashtag light in the darkness and he talks about how his life has fallen apart and yet out of the ashes there is hope because we do not live our lives in the facts of our circumstances when the storms are all coming but in the truth of God's word and so if you're like that and you're in the storms like he is this morning hold on to that phrase you may want to look at his, his, his blog and his post. It's not too hard to find. Just Google his name. And you'll soon find all the stuff to, to do of his life and the witness that he's trying to be amidst the devastation that he now lives, not the dream, but the nightmare. But then for, for others of us, how do we then live every day this life of what Jesus is, the firstborn of the dead. How do we bring it into our everyday lives? And you know, the journey to resurrection is the hardest journey we take because resurrection only happens through death. And so Jesus would say, wouldn't he? He would say, if you take a grain of wheat, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and is buried, it just stays a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it produces much fruit. And you see, for each of us this morning, that's what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives. He wants to bring much fruit, but that's only possible are often seeds in our lives dying that's the only way it will happen and for the Revelation churches what they believed was this they believed that they could live the life of the resurrected life now and not if you like when they physically died and the way that they did that was just by letting those seeds in their life die. This is how St. Paul talked about it in the book of Colossians and chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth and then he gives this list and I'll just, just read the list we could add other things to the list but if you want to live the life of Jesus the firstborn on the earth it's about these seeds dying in our lives you know because we all have these seeds whether it's the list that I mention here or others it talks about put to death fornication, impurity Passion, evil desire and greed which is idolatry just put them to death put them to death so that Jesus' resurrected life can live in you and you might think oh well that list is um, pretty good on that list so then he goes further and he says but now you must get rid of all such things, anger wrath, malice Slander and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to, to one another. And that list maybe gets a bit harder. Because we wake up having not had much sleep or we're in a mood. Or somebody upsets us or irritates us and all of a sudden. Mm. And Jesus says, put it to death. If you want to live this life of Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, if you want to live this resurrected life now, just put it to death and instead, what you find is kindness starts to spring up. Or you find that you're quick to forgive starts to pick up. Or you find that love starts to grow stronger. In your heart, can you find the peace of Christ, which is so precious? Let us pray. As we pray now, as Brian reminded us earlier, why don't we just lift our hands out to Jesus this morning because it's a sign that we want to receive from him because he's with us now And maybe if you're one of those people who are going through storms at the moment, Jesus would say, I am with you always. Live in the truth of my word. Or maybe for others of us Jesus is just saying to us come and put to death that seed and he says will you trust me will you trust me with that habit with that attitude with that practice whatever it is and just put it to death and watch the rich fruit that will be produced as a result Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your presence with us. And we thank you for your peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. And, Lord, we thank you that as we reach out now to you, you come and meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.